As the story goes, the kid was going to be seemingly born into the right family. His mom was beautiful. His dad was very handsome. Dad, matter of fact, was in the top of his field and his expertise. Matter of fact, in the top eight, maybe in the top two. Depending on how you, you see this. So he's seemingly born into the right situation. He's going to be mom's proud and joy. He was going to be a chip off the old block. Now, he was born, and everybody's excited, but then they see his face and saw this as they saw it, as the world would see it, this defect this thing that, that made him not fit to, in society. And as people looked at him and he wanted to be accepted, Dad tried to even hide it. I've got a picture I want to show you. And I've debated whether I should do this or not, but I think sometimes we need to be reminded of how we can be sometimes. And as, as this lesson this morning is about living the Christian life, and as we live this Christian life sometimes, it's hard. And the world sees us as freaks. And it's hard to, to uh, even evangelize sometimes. And we want to run away when the times get hard. They called him Rudolph. And all he wanted to do was just fit into society. And they made fun of him. And they laughed at him. And they didn't like him. And he wanted to run away. You think about, he wanted to be part of dad's, uh, uh, dad's uh, business. And he tries to fit into the business. He goes to training. And it doesn't work. They laugh at him. They shun him. They won't let him play in any games. And so he runs away. And he even has a friend. He meets up with a friend later on. His name's Hermie the Elf. And he wanted to be a dentist. But his boss says, no, you're an elf. You make toys. That's what you do. You can't be anything else. Don't you understand? That's who you are in life. You can't be anything else. So they both run away together. Then they meet up with this guy. He's called Yukon Cornelius. And he seemed all happy on the outside. Everything was good. He'd throw his pickaxe up in the air and get it and, and lick snow off of it. And he had his dogs. He was fine. He didn't need anybody. But that was a mask. That was a facade. He was lonely. Hanging out with dogs all the time? Licking snow? No, he was lonely. He was looking for something. Even this guy. The abominable snowman. He's all mean and gruff and the big teeth and I'll kill you and all that. I know he looked that way. I know it looks like he's been on meth for ten years. But listen, he just wanted a helping hand. He just wanted somebody to help him out. He just wanted somebody to show, I care. I care. What do all these guys have in common? Where do they end up? The island of misfit toys. Year after year after year, keeping hope alive, thinking something great's going to happen one year, then every year it's the same disappointment. Every year it's the reminder that society doesn't want you. Now in all seriousness, 
Let's bring this to home. Let's bring this to some reality. Don't we deal with some of these things every single day in our lives? Aren't we sometimes, as we try to live this Christian life, you're trying to live it to the best of your ability, and sometimes you feel rejected? People say, no, that, that, doesn't, that religion doesn't fit my, my lifestyle. I can't change. And then people begin to mock you and talk about you and laugh at you because you're trying to live that Christian life. Don't you sometimes feel like you know how to live a Christian life? You know how, how this world's going to treat you? And you just want people to understand about God and about how, how great Jesus is and how the Holy Spirit has given us His Word? And you just want people to understand, I'm trying to live this life. It's a tough life. Just don't throw me under the bus. And people don't understand that. They don't understand you're trying to uh, gain a higher level of living of spirituality. And they don't understand that. And maybe that's you in this audience right now. Maybe it's you who walk around with this great smile on your face and everything seems great on the outside when on the inside you're dying. You've got this mask on. You've got this facade. If you could just take it off and look in the mirror and see the ugly truth is I'm alone. When you should be reaching out to people and asking people to help. Sometimes people just want to know, I care. Somebody cares. Somebody cares enough to grab me by my hand, grab a brother or sister by the hand, and carry them on up on the mountain. And say, hey, we can live this life. We can do it. We've got all kinds of examples in the Bible that you can do it. Or maybe it's somebody who just needs the gospel, and they want to hear it, and they're searching. Do we stop to talk? Do we stop to help? Do we stop to open the door when it knocks, or we just keep on walking on by and let them slide on down the mountain. So as we look at this lesson today, we want to look at our lives as a Christian and look at your life if you're not a Christian and think about where you stand. The world says you're free. The world says, as our characters from Rudolph knew, they're misfits. Matter of fact, they sang that song. We're all misfits. They didn't fit into society and they tried to run away. Our goal is let's quit running away. Let's understand I'm a Christian and there's nothing to be ashamed of. But we can't get in this mentality and I'm afraid we do sometimes to where, okay, I'm just going to hide in the corner. I'm just going to run away. I'm not going to open my mouth and say a thing because we're afraid sometimes. It's as if, it's as if we're blindsided by the fact that Oh, it's sort of hard to live a Christian life. You should have known that. We should know that, living as a Christian, we should know that before becoming a Christian. What did Peter state? He said, don't think it's some... Be surprised at this. Don't think when temptation comes and you're put through a, a fiery trial, don't be shocked. Don't think it's some strange thing that's happened. And Peter knew what he was talking about. It was Jesus who told Peter... Peter said and asked for you. He wants to sift you as wheat. You know what Jesus told him? I'm going to let him do it. It builds us. It makes us stronger. But we should not be surprised because troubles come. Notice what Peter told Timothy. Anyone who desires, has the faith, has the want to, the willingness, 
to live as a Christian, to live a godly life, there's going to be trouble. There's going to be persecution. Even note what Jesus, and I understand he told he was talking to his apostles, but he even told them, at the very least, there's going to be trouble. At the very worst, there's going to be death. And all in between, you're going to be hated. And we can apply that to our lives sometimes. We don't see it a lot in this country, but it's getting there. It's getting to the point where Christianity, matter of fact, in about if the statistics are right, it's been ten to twenty years, Christianity will not be dominant anymore. Think about that. And then I think we might see, are we going to be able to stand up and live the Christian life, or are we going to run as some others do? So this morning, let's open up our Bibles. And let's look at some people who dealt with these issues. People who, who the world said, get out of here, you freak. Get out of here, you misfit of life. And let's see how they handled it. Let's begin with King David. So let's go to 1 Samuel chapter 22. As we look at David's life, he was, he was acquainted with this. Even when Samuel came into Bethlehem to find the next anointed king, when Saul was rejected, remember, Samuel went to Jesse, went through, I believe it was what, seven or eight sons, seven sons, I think. No, 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 no. You got any more sons? And Jesse's like, even Jesse's like, yeah, I got one more, but I don't think he's the one. God said, he's the one. <laughs> then, he, then he goes to fight Goliath. And everybody's like, you can't fight Goliath. Get out of here, man. You kidding me? Of course he does. And he becomes one of Saul's favorite people until Saul starts throwing spears at him. And then David begins to run, and he runs, and he runs, and at the end of chapter 21, it's so bad he goes into enemy territory, thinks he might can find refuge there, and they find out who he is. And he starts acting like he's a mad person, like he's crazy. He starts foaming at the mouth. Then we find him in chapter 22, in verse 1. David therefore departed from there and escaped to the cave of Adullam. So when his brothers and all his father's house heard it, they went down there to him. He's trying to hide out. He wants away from all this. He's running. He needs to regroup or whatever, but he's running. But not only that, not only is he society saying, get out of here, you're a misfit. Notice who comes to him. How they found him, I don't know. But notice verse 2. And everyone who was in distress, everyone who was in debt, everyone who was discontented, gathered to him, so he became captain over them, and there were about 400 men with him. So here's David with 400 misfits, whether it was their own doing, or society said it, but they were rejects. They couldn't live in society anymore. Society saying, get out of here, for whatever reasons, and David's the captain over them. 400 people that the world says, you don't fit in. Leave. Now, David's in a precarious situation if you think about this. One wrong move, he can destroy those 400 men. Mom and dad, brothers, family. So, he's got to be thinking right. One of my favorite movies is a movie called Cool Hand Luke. I don't know if anybody's ever heard of that movie. It's got two really famous lines in it. Alright? Um, the one... I'm. I want to talk about right now, just very briefly, is he's got old cool hand Luke. He digs a ditch, throws the dirt out, and the sheriff comes back. Okay, put the dirt back in. 
and he puts the dirt back in. Next day, digs the dirt out. And the reason he keeps doing this, he says, Luke, you've got to get your mind right. Trying to break his will. Trying to rehabilitate him. But in a spiritual terms, in a spiritual situation, David's mind has to be right. If he makes the wrong move, his mind, he's not thinking right, some dangerous things could happen. Would you hold on to 1 Samuel chapter 22? Let's go to Psalm 57. Psalm 57. What's David thinking? Where's he at in all this? Is he thinking right? When you get to Psalm 57, you'll see the heading. It talks about it's set to a song to not do not destroy. Uh, it's David when he fled from Saul into the cave. All right, so we can take this psalm and say, okay, where, what's David thinking here? Where's his thought process? Let's read. David says the very first thing, "Be merciful to me, O God." And then says it again, "Be merciful to me." David's like. David realizes, right off the bat, we understand where he's thinking. Where else is he going to turn? Where else can he go? He's saying, God, I've mer- got to turn to you, Lord. I've got to turn to you, Father. Have mercy on me. And he says, for my soul trusts in you. If you hear anything today, notice that verse. For my soul trusts in you. I.e., Father, God, that thing that you have given me that is eternal, I give it to you. I trust that it's going to be eternal with you forever. My soul trusts in you. Not in anything on this earth because it's perishable. It's going to rot. It's going to go away. But I'm putting my trust in what is eternal. I'm giving my trust to God. He states, and in the shadow of your wings I will make my refuge until these calamities have passed by. If you break that section down, it's as if David is saying, I know it's going to pass by. Think how how much faith you have to have to realize and not being arrogant about it, but just knowing, I know this is going to pass. That's what that verse means. That's what if you break it down, David's saying, I know that God's going to get me through this and hide me under his wings. You know the illustration. Jesus even used that. I wished I could take Jerusalem, oh Jerusalem, and hide you under my wings. But Jesus knows he couldn't make him do it. David is saying, I want to do it. See the difference? He goes on verse 2, I will cry out to God most high, to God who reforms all things. He shall send from heaven and save me. He reproaches the one who would swallow me up. God shall send forth His mercy and His truth. He'll reach down from heaven and help me. Who can fight against heaven? Who can fight against God when He sends something down from heaven? He sent His Son. And people did fight it. As we're going to fight in a moment, that fight was futile. Verse 4, David understood his surroundings. He says, My soul is among lions. I lie among the sons of men who are set on fire. That means they had a passion. Their will was to capture and destroy David, whose teeth are spears and arrows and their tongue a sharp sword. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be above all the earth. That's another thing about this, what David's stating. He's saying, God, don't rescue me and set me up on a pedestal. Rescue me, save me, 
help this to come to pass that you can be glorified, that you can be lifted up, that people can see how great and awesome you are. They have prepared a net for my steps, verse 6. My soul is bowed down. They have dug a pit before me into the midst of it. They themselves have fallen. Now, they haven't fallen into it yet. They're still chasing David. What does David mean here? You ever heard somebody, they're digging their own grave? They're digging their own pit? Remember the story in Esther? Are they called Mordecai's gallows or Haman's gallows? They're called Haman's gallows. Alright? Because he built them for Mordecai to be hung on, but Haman himself ends up getting hung on. They're digging their own ditch. He goes on and says, My heart is steadfast, unmovable. O God, my heart is steadfast. I will sing and give praise. Awake my glory. Awake, Luke and Hart. Notice, I will awaken the dawn. I won't set an alarm clock. I won't hit it as it goes off. Get groggy and get up and the sun's already up. And oh, okay. No, he's, I'm going to usher in. I believe and have so much faith in God, I'm going to get up and I'm going to usher in the morning singing and praising the Lord. I will praise You, O Lord, among the peoples. I will sing to You among the nations, the heathens. For Your mercy reaches into the heavens, there it is again, and Your truth into the clouds. And one more time. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let Your glory be above all the earth. So was David's mind right? Was he thinking right? Absolutely. Go back to 1 Samuel, chapter 22. Notice what the first thing he does in verse 3 of chapter 22. He says, it says, Then David went from there to Mizpah of Moab, and he said to the king of Moab, Please let my father and mother come here with you till I know what God will do for me. So he brought them before the king of Moab, and they dwelt with him all the time that David was in the stronghold. First and foremost, David said, I've got to take care of mom and dad. They're too old. They can't be running around with us soldiers. They can't handle this. So he takes care of his parents, first and foremost. Then, how much trust, how much faith is David putting into God? Look at chapter 23. Verse 1. Then it says, Then they told David, saying, Look, the Philistines are fighting against Keilah, and they are robbing the threshing floor. So David could say, Whoa, I'm, I'm on the run. I'm hiding. Don't you know that? They've kicked me out. And my 400 men, we're all misfits. We're freaks. They don't want us around. That's not what he does. David's mind is right. Look at verse 2. Therefore David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I go and attack these Philistines? And the Lord said to David, Go and attack the Philistines and save Keilah. Go do it, David. Go do it. So David, that's answered in his mind. But what about his men? It's one thing. David's mind is right, but the men's like, Whoa. We can't be showing our faces any place. They'll kill us for sure. We're misfits. Remember, David? You're our captain. So David asked again, in verse 3, But David's men said to him, Look, we are afraid here in Judah. How much more then if we go to Keilah against the arms of the Philistines? Then David inquired of the Lord once again for his men. And the Lord answered him and said, Arise, go down to Keilah, for I will deliver the Philistines into your hand. And verse 5 tells us what happened. And David and his men fought to Keilah, went to Keilah and fought with the Philistines, struck them with a mighty blow, and took away their livestock. So David saved the inhabitants. Here were men, 400 men, some of David's family, and David himself, misfits, 
and society, told to get out of here, and look what great things they were accomplished when they put their trust in God. The world said, you don't fit the mold. God said, I can use you. Now let's bring this on home even further. Let's go on into the New Testament. You realize we have a misfits constitution? I'm not trying to be blasphemous when I say that. A misfits constitution. John Biddle is one of my favorite people in the world as far as Christians go and people anyway because as a history major, he knows history. He lived history. And he's wrote a book about some of his things that he went through as a, as a prisoner of war and, and, and so forth. And I love to have a conversation with him because he knew history. And he knew our government. And he could quote the preamble to our Constitution. And he would always, he says, Steve, you realize we have a parallel? You realize we take the New Testament, and if you want to call it the Constitution, you realize we have a preamble? I want you to turn to it right now. Let's go to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. Again, we are talking about how the world sees me as a Christian and how the world sees you who might want to become a Christian. They want to throw you away. They want to say you're a freak. They want to say you're a misfit. But God says, no, you're not. And again, I'm not trying to be blasphemous. He's saying, God saying, no, you're not, because I'm going to send a misfit that you can follow. The king of kings. Somebody who the world said, well, you don't fit this mold. Get out of here. Here's what Jesus said. And seeing the multitudes, he went up on a mountain, and when he was seated, his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor. Poor, lacking something. Destitute of something. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Not poor for material things. They're wanting more spiritual things. Yours is the kingdom of heaven, Jesus said. That's the promise. He says, verse 4, Blessed are those who mourn. Mourn for what? Mourn because I have sinned? Mourn because you have sinned? Mourn because a, a brother or a sister who used to be in these pews are now no longer here or nowhere else worshiping? It makes you sad spiritually. You mourn about it. Blessed are those who mourn. They will find comfort someday. That's the promise. Jesus says, blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who... You've allowed God to take and break your will and break your spirit and then remold you into who He needs you to be. The world sees that as weak, don't they? The world sees that as, well, get out of here with that. But Jesus says, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. They will understand that everything we have on this earth that we use is a blessing from God. And we get it and we understand it. Verse 6, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. I think I've told you guys this story before. But we had a mountain ex expedition uh, a few years ago. Me and Tyler Boyd and Shane and Eric Fisher. I've forgiven those boys a long time ago. They took me up on a mountain. We camped. I'm not much for that anyway. Tyler says, hey, let's go this way. I think it's quicker. I got some parents hiding their hands. Don't hide your hands. 
uh, we end up on the other side. We're on the Irving College side of the mountain. We didn't go on the Oklahoma College side, just to tell you. Well, I finally realized, oh, I know where we're at. We start walking back. We saw Avi come by. All right? Hey, Avi. Now, she didn't stop. We, oh, she didn't see us. Well, about a minute later, here comes the lender in his truck. Welcome site. Picks us up. We get there. We go to the packing barn. About a few seconds later, here comes the most beautiful bologna sandwiches I've ever seen in my life. We hadn't eaten, and Amy brought those in, and we're just going like pigs in there eating those things. We all understand what it means to be physically hungry. But Jesus says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, want the right things, the spiritual things, the things that Jesus provides. The Father provides. Jesus says, blessed are you because you're going to be filled someday. He says, blessed are the merciful. Blessed are those who care. Blessed are those who are like... I'm going to reach down. Hey, my brother's, in, my brother's in trouble. My sister's in trouble. This person wants to know the gospel. They're searching. And you clasp them with that hand and say, come on, let's go. Or you look at people and say, hey, you, you, this congregation does it all the time. All the time for our youth group, giving us money to buy gifts and so forth, just being generous and, and having mercy on other people. You understand that. Jesus is saying, blessed are the merciful. You'll attain mercy. You give mercy, I'll have mercy on you. Blessed are the pure in heart, Jesus says. Blessed are those who don't let the world contaminate them. Don't follow the world's dictates. Don't say, oh, here's how we do it. But you keep yourself pure. You'll see God, Jesus says. You'll see God. You're either, it'll either be... You'll, you'll, have a better and a more stronger understanding. There is a God, or in the most literal sense, you will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers. The world wants to fight. The world wants to be divided. You start trying to make peace between people, it sometimes gets you in trouble, doesn't it? Oh, what are you sticking your nose in this business for? Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers. Those who study and know how to do it, you're going to be called the sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Persecuted. You have trouble or you die or you're hated in the middle. It doesn't matter. If you can hang on and you're persecuted for doing the right things, yours is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. When you stand up for Jesus when you stand up for His teachings, when you stand up for hanging on the cross, when you stand up for everything He did, He says, you're blessed. And then He says in verse 12, Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. They persecuted other people just like you. Your reward is in heaven. Probably implying you're going to want to rear back and start throwing punches. You're going to want to retaliate. You're going to want to have, say, vengeance is mine. Belongs to Steve Hillis. I'm going to repay, says Steve. No. Jesus is saying, you're going to be persecuted, you're going to be talked about, you're going to be put down, and maybe even physically, blessed are you if you do it for the righteous reason and you don't retaliate because you've got a reward. It's in heaven. We think about all these lessons. We think about it is hard living a Christian life. And we understand that. But think about this. 
in each of these scenarios we read about with David, his mind was right, he trusted God, and things worked out for the best. It worked out good for him. You think about with Jesus and what he, he says, it's hard. Blessed are you in all these things. And, but he gives us, here's a promise with each of them, it's going to be okay, Steve. It's going to be okay, church. It's going to be okay, you guys who are searching. If you're afraid to take that step and become a Christian, it's okay. Because there's great promises out there the Lord has given us. Hermie become a dentist. Very successful, I was told. UConn, well, you know UConn. He found friends. He realized, you know, I can hang out with people. I can do this. I can have dogs and people in my life. And he was good with it. Even this guy got off the meth. He's all clean. And, and as UConn said, look at what he can do. He can put a star on a tree. There's a place for everybody. Somebody cared. Somebody cared enough to say, hey, come on, man. Let me teach you how to do this. Even the misfit toys got on Santa's sleigh. Oh, and Rudolph, he got the girl. And he got the dream job. Everything worked out great for him. So we're thinking, though, but it's still hard, Steve. It's still hard leaving that, leaving, living that life, uh, leaving, out, leaving the world, leaving that comfort zone and following Jesus. Can Jesus really understand can he really understand what I'm going through? Does Jesus know how it feels to be abandoned? To feel rejected? Of course he did. He was a man despised and rejected. He was a man of sorrows. He was acquainted with grief. He understood it. People hid their faces from him. Hid from him. He was so spiritually grotesque to them. He was despised. He was not esteemed as he should have been. Did he understand? Crucify him. Crucify him. Did he understand about being rejected? Yes, he understood. Did Jesus understand about being uh, uh, misunderstood? People not understanding that we're looking for something higher here. There's so many passages we can look at. Here's just one from Mark's account where Jesus talks about beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, leaven of, the, of Herod, and the apostles thinking, oh, we don't have enough bread. <laughs> Jesus says, no, 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 no. Are you not understanding yet? You're not getting it yet? Remember what he told Peter. Jesus had just said, I'm going to go to Jerusalem. I'm going to be you know, murdered. I'm going to be executed. Three days later, I'm going to come back. And Peter says, no, no we're not going to let that happen. Jesus said, well, get behind me then, Satan. Because you're worried about worldly things. Did Jesus understand what it felt to be alone? To, to feel like nobody cares? He's in that garden of Gethsemane and the apostles want to fight. Jesus says, don't do that. If I want to fight, I can get a lot of people better than you. I can call down legions of angels and take care of the situation. And everybody ran away from it. When he was on the cross, he cried this out. He was alone. He was alone. Does nobody care? God, do you not care what they're doing to me? Why have you forsaken me? Did Jesus understand what we go through? 
There's not a temptation in this room. Think about this. This is one of those powerful verses I think we can read. Did Jesus understand as a preteen, as a teenager, as a young adult, up to as old as he lived, did he understand the temptations that we go through? Well, if we take the Bible for its for what it's worth, yes. Every temptation we dealt with, he understood it. He dealt with it, yet without sin. Yet without sin. So we stand here and we think, okay, the world sees me as a freak. The world sees me as a misfit. The world categorizes me as somebody who's not fit to be in a group, to have this job, to do this recreation, whatever. All right? So be it. I have a Savior who says, I want you. I don't care what the world states. And how can I be so bold about that? How can I be so courageous and have such bravado to say, hey, I know that my Lord was a misfit, as you say, world, but He loves me and He cares for me. So how can I be so bold? You know, they can put my friend and my brother and my king on a cross, but the fact remains the tomb was empty. The tomb was empty. The tomb is empty. And that gives every one of us hope. They tried to get rid of the misfit. They tried to get rid of the freak, according to their term, according to how they saw him, but he came back from the dead. He's ascended back to heaven. He's at the right hand of the Father. He is the mediator between us and the Father. And it's through Him that we have all hope because the tomb is empty. I don't know where you stand this morning, but I dare say some of us in this auditorium need to come back home. Some of us need to obey the Gospel for the first time. And wherever you stand in this world, they're going to laugh at you. They're going to mock you, but Jesus said, I want you, so come home as we stand and sing.